And as we look back through an eye, there have been many influences that we point to that has moved our hearts to adopt. And very, uh, you know, just, you know, life is what happens sometimes. You know, God's sovereign, but, you know, years ago, I think right after we got married, Sarin saw a TV special on orphans in Romania. I wasn't home that night, and she was watching it alone. And when I came home, she was telling me about it, all these kids in Romania who are orphans without parents, they're neglected, they're in these like dilapidated orphanages, and no one is caring for them. And God really moved our heart just seeing the need that was out there. And then a year or two later, we're watching 60 Minutes uh, together, and they're talking about these foster kids um, that are waiting for parents, waiting for, to be adopted into families. And uh, there's so many kids, but not enough parents. So to match these kids, they have these adoption parties where they go to a park, they have balloons, clowns, and snacks and food, and like 20 kids are let loose into the park, and like 10 parents come, and they interact with the children, and they see how they behave, how they relate to one another, and they choose one as a potential to, to adopt them into their family. Well, the older kids know as they get dressed, they're interviewing them, as they get ready for these parties, that these aren't just parties, that these are adoption parties, that these parents that are coming are looking for a child. And the older kids know that most of them want like little babies, little infants, or they want you know, blue-eyed, blonde hair, you know, boys and girls. And so the older kids know, like, oh, the chances of me getting a mom and dad uh, is not very good. And so... <sighs> so we're watching that, and... Uh, God really moved our hearts and caused us to um, pray a simple prayer. Um, what we would do in terms of adoption, in terms of uh, helping out and, 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 uh, as a family. And then uh, five years ago, we had Elizabeth. And having Elizabeth was so huge for us, but especially for me. Because, uh, I mean, I don't know, some of you guys know this about me already, but... I never, like, got along with kids, right? Kids and I never really clicked. Like, they didn't like me. They never liked me, kids. And I, I didn't really like them either. It was, like, it was, it was mutual. Uh, like, I look at the P.O. boys, and, like, they just connect instantly with kids. And I kind of envy them because I just don't have that. Like, kids look at me, and they move on. And I, I touch them, I hug them, and I don't know what else to do. I, I don't know what else to say. So my greatest, one of my greater, my, a great fear of mine was, what if my own child doesn't like me? Right? And what if I don't like my own child? Like, oh man, what's going to happen? Well, we have Elizabeth, and like, wow, like, I like her. Right? <laughs> it's good. It's all good. And she likes me. And I was really caring for her, and oh, we, you know, parents, you understand how much you love your own children. And yet you consider there are children out there that don't have parents, that Children out there that do not have someone to love them and care for them, stay up with them late at night, and, and just be a part of their family. Loving Elizabeth uh, opened our hearts, but opened really my heart to care for those who do not have parents. Well, the final clincher was, of course, Scripture, the Word of God. Marcus read Ephesians 1, uh, 3 through 6 this morning, where Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, 
even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. The Bible tells us we were God's enemies. We were strangers to God. If we were to come knocking at God's house and go enter into His home, He would kick us out because He doesn't know us. We are unwelcome in His family. But through Christ, He adopted us. Though we were not a people, we became a people. Though we were foreigners to God, we became co-heirs with Christ, His brothers, sons and children of God through Christ. So we know adoption. As Christians, we understand what it means and understand the great love that is lavished on us by God adopting us. And of course, James 1.27 or James tells us, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Scripture passages like this have uh, convic- convicted our hearts, moved our hearts two years ago, maybe two and a half, two years ago, a little over two years ago, to pray, and to make just the first steps towards being... Um, foster parents and foster adopt parents. So you can go two tracks. You can just be a foster parent and just care for children who are in need short term or you can choose to adopt children through the foster system. It has been an incredible journey thus far. It started out as a very simple prayer. Just one night in our room praying, deciding, making that first step and here we are. Look, We look back and we look back at Ethan and other foster children we've had in our home, we are so filled with thanks to God for His goodness and His grace. I want to just briefly share with you our journey by reading just a few excerpts from Serene's journal. This is really a, a mom's ministry, a, you know, a woman's ministry. It's, it's an extension of the home, care for children. It's really good works that women are called to be involved and engaged in. As men, we decide, you know, we make the decisions, but, you know, we feed them in the morning and we go to work, right? And we come back and we feed them again, play with them, and we go to sleep. But the frontline ministers are the moms. And so instead of hearing from my experience, I want to just read Serene's journal and have you just experience what we went through on the first few days, uh, first few days and weeks when we had um, Ethan. His legal name is Roger. The starting date is December 1st, 2005. She writes, title, We're Certified Foster Parents. Thank you for your many prayers. We're finally certified. We're still waiting to be certified as foster adopt parents, but nonetheless, we are certified foster parents. They have begun looking for a child to place in our home. Hopefully, it will be a child that will become available for adoption, but if not, we still look forward to opening up our home and our lives to share the love of Christ to abused and needy children. Please continue to pray for us. December 31st, 2005. Our first foster baby arrived this past Wednesday evening. He is a beautiful baby boy. His name is Roger. We got a call and we're told that he needs a home right away. He was 
exposed to drugs, crystal meth, and he's only eight days old. We accepted, and within hours he arrived. Our family had been praying for him, his mother and family, before he arrived. Right away, he began to stir. I took him out of his car seat and held him. He was definitely hungry. While James met with the case worker, I started making baby Roger more comfortable and got a bottle of formula ready. He quickly, he's quickly satisfied and gulps down the milk. Within an hour, we're sitting here, a newborn eight-day-old baby in our arms, and the caseworker is gone. It's surreal. We can't believe that we finally got a foster child to love and to care for. We prayed, prepared, and trained for this moment, but when it happens, it's unbelievable, especially when they're so tiny. I changed his diaper, put some ointment on his diaper rash, some lotion on his dry skin, on his feet, and just held him real secure so that he knows he's fine and we're there for him. Next night, James and I talked about what a privilege it is to do this. We talked about how amazing it is to be a part of baby Roger's life and to love him even for a short time. We talked about the scriptures and how we want to share the love of Christ with this child. We are thankful to finally get a chance. God is so gracious and we, would, we could not do this, any of this without Him. He is our motivation. He is our example. He is the reason why we ever became involved in fostering and adoption. I thank God for just His amazing grace in saving us from the empty way of life handed down to us from our forefathers. I thank God for giving us new life in Christ and for loving us when we didn't deserve mercy. I thank God for helping us not to waste our lives but to use it for His own glory. I thank God for baby Roger and his mommy. This whole process has taught me so much but mostly about God and His sovereignty and the power of prayer. A few days later, after Roger's 11.45 p.m. feeding, burp and diaper change, I just held him in my arms before putting him down to sleep. I whispered in his ear how much I love him and how much more that God loves him. God created him, knitted him in his mother's womb. God knows everything about him, more than I understand about his life and circumstances. God is in control. He will care for you, Roger, more than anyone else can. God loves you. I told Roger how much we pray for him, his mom and family, that they might know God and trust in him as their Lord and Savior, that they might know the sweet joy of forgiveness of all their sins, eternal life with Christ, and the comfort of the perfect Heavenly Father. I know that Roger will never remember this. He will probably never know how much we loved him, prayed for him, cared for him, and opened up our hearts and lives to him. But God knows, and that's enough for me. What an amazing privilege this has been and continues to be. Two months later, February 22nd, 2006, I can't help wonder if he will ever know how much he was loved cared for and prayed for by our family and our church. Only God knows. Maybe that's why the book of James says that pure and faultless religion is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress because they have nothing to offer and our reward is kept safely in heaven. Right now, with no one willing or able to take Roger home, he seems to fit the description. I thank God for each day we have with him because he could leave at any time, though not likely to be any time soon. It reminds me to hold all things loosely and more tightly to the Lord. 
It reminds me to hold even Elizabeth, Emma, and James more loosely because they all belong to the Lord as well. I've learned so much through all of this. It's grown my faith, caused me to pray more, stretched my capacity to love and serve in the name of Christ. God has allowed me several opportunities to share the gospel with Roger's mother and through our family we've been able to share the love of Christ with her as well. I don't know what will happen in the future. I can't allow myself to think of the future. I only think of Philippians 4.8. To think about what is true and for today. And what is true is that I'm a foster mommy with a precious foster baby and want to be faithful to do all that I can to love him with the love of Christ. It is a challenge not to think ahead, to dream, hope, and to think about the future, about next week, next month, or what Roger will be like in a year. It is only God's grace and the prayers of fellow Christians that helps me to enjoy God's blessings for today. She closes, I thank God for using Roger to teach me so much. He's become like a part of the family. And it is a privilege to have him here with us. These are things that God has blessed us with in just the first three months. And God has blessed us. It's been a privilege for us to be foster parents, and if God wills, to adopt Ethan into our home. It's been 17 months, a roller coaster ride in terms of emotions. A lot of hills, but a lot of valleys. People have ask us, why are we still doing this? And why do we want to continue to do this? James 1.27 we discover here in this verse that Christians are motivated to care for orphans because that is the heart of God. We discover God's heart for orphans in chapter 1, verse 27. Orphans are important to God. They are precious in His sight. He has a special love and compassion for them. God has always had a special place in His heart for orphans. And He has commanded His people to reflect His heart, to demonstrate His heart, to be His hands and His feet by caring for orphans in affliction. Exodus 22, 22-24, we sense how God takes personal care of orphans and if anyone hurts them he takes it personally you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child if you do mistreat them and they cry out to me I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless that's the intense love that God has for orphans David said in Psalm 10:14, "But you, O God, you are the helper of the fatherless." Psalm 68:5, "You are a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, as God in His holy dwelling." Psalm 146:9, "The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and widow." Deuteronomy 10:18, "He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves them." So God shares His heart in the Old and New Testaments and He expects His people 
to follow His heart. God has set the example. He expects His people, His children to do what He does. He expects us, the church of Jesus Christ, to share a common compassion for those who have no parents. So, James calls all believers in this verse to care for orphans. Every single Christian is called upon to care for orphans, widows, and to keep oneself unstained from this world. But for our purposes, we'll just focus on orphans. It is a mandate to every single Christian. The literal word is episkeptomai, to visit orphans. The same root as episkopos, overseer. So overseers, we visit with members, not just to meet with you. We fellowship with you, we have meals with you, we go over your homes. Not just to have a social visit, but to care for you personally. To shepherd you, to love you, to help you. In that metaphoric way, Christians are called upon to visit orphans. To comprehensively care for them, love them, and serve them important. We, we see here the wisdom of the scriptures. The command is not to adopt orphans. Look at 127. The command is to care. The church is in fact commanded to adopt widows. Right? 1 Timothy 5. If you have a godly widow who has no family to take care of her and she's over 60 years old, it's the church's responsibility to put her on a list and to care for her every need. As believers, if we have relatives, especially widows, and we don't take care of them, we're worse than unbelievers. So widows we adopt as a church, but orphans, every Christian is called upon to care for them, to extend ourselves, to meet their needs. So each believer must somehow, in some way, care for orphans comprehensive love, compassion, service, help. Every believer is called to care for orphans in their distress. That word means pressure, anguish, burden, trouble. And there are so many uh, burdens that these orphans carry with them every day. That is why today we have, Marcus said it rightly, we have friends that are with us. We have Paula from his children. We have Jeff from Bethany. We have Boone from Olive Crest. So they're here to tell us how we can help, how we can serve, how we can be a part of that long chain of caring for these children who are in their, who have various afflictions. For example, foster kids, a lot of them, they show up at foster homes with their belongings in a trash bag. They don't, so they're shuffled from one home to another or removed from their home so quickly that they come without any of their toys without any of their, you know, teddy bears or dolls, or without even a bag to, to, to uh, bring their stuff in. So they have a ministry of where they provide toys for these kids. So when they have their first night without mom and dad, or first night in a new home, they can hold something to go to sleep, or they're not bringing their stuff in a trash bag. Even simple things like that, all the way to adopting orphans. So the command is to care, and command, I believe, is for all Christians to consider how we might care for orphans, even to the point of adopting an orphan. Because what is the greatest burden for an orphan? 
What is the source of their greatest affliction and burden and trial? That they don't have a family. That they don't have a mom or dad. That they're alone in this world. For an orphan, their greatest burden, their greatest distress is that they do not have a family of their own. So, for all Christians is to care. But the greatest expression, I believe, of caring for an orphan, the greatest, the ultimate expression of alleviating the burden of an orphan is to adopt them into their home. To fully make them a member of your family. And we understand, as Christians, that is completely possible. As Christians, we don't feel like uh, second-class citizens in God's family. Because especially we're Gentiles, we're not members of the Jewish nation. We don't feel like outsiders crashing a party. No, we understand and experience it's the perfect love of Christ. And as foster parents, do we love Ethan any less than Elizabeth and Emma? No way. Maybe a little more. He's a little, he's a little more special. Right? Because of his background. Right? We understand that we are especially equipped as Christians to love orphans without favoritism, without bias. Verse 127, chapter 127, gives us uh, several reasons why we must do this. James says, this is pure and undefiled religion. Religion is uh, thriskius, worship, piety, spiritual zeal. Pure and undefiled are synonyms. First is positive, first is negative. The first emphasizes cleanliness. The second, undefiled, denotes freedom from contamination. These two adjectives denote true religion, true piety, true worship of God. The greatest spiritual mistake of the Pharisees was that they believed that piety was limited to religious practices. Limited to vertical uh, events. Limited to separating from the world and separating from sin. The Bible tells us that true religion is both vertical and horizontal. It's our commitment to Christ. And that commitment lived out by showing compassion to people in this world. That is why, as Christians, our religion is not adorned with ceremonies, but adorned with purity and charity. This is what separates Christians from the world and other religions. What the distinguishing characteristics, characteristic of Christians is that it's not some special rites or habits. It's not a special form of dress or manner of speech. We don't have unusual customs, special dietary restrictions that separate us from not other, other groups. What separates us is our love for God, our love for fellow Christians, and our love for orphans and widows. This is the special badge of the professed child of God, that we love those who can't love us back, that we sacrifice to those who have nothing to offer to us. 
is purely one direction. And that's what distinguishes us as children of true religion. Secondly, James says, this is pure and undefiled religion before God the Father. This tells us that caring for orphans is pleasing to God. He is not speaking here of what may seem best to us, best to the world, or even best to fellow believers, or best to the children. He is speaking of what is best in the sight of God and Father. It is pleasing to Him. So our motivation for caring for orphans is to please God, is to glorify God. In the world today, unbelievers care for orphans and even adopt orphans. I think adopting orphans is a little bit like popular, popular today with uh, I think Angelina Jolie adopting several. I think Mike adopted Tiana from the same orphanage as Angelina Jolie. So she definitely missed out on Tiana to Mike's credit, to Mike's, Mike and Sonia's advantage. You know, Madonna's adopting. You know, the world adopts children, care for, cares for orphans, but they do it for earthly reasons. They do it as... Uh, be plan B. Right? Plan A didn't work out. They'll do plan B. Or they do it because they have some need that they want, want, want met. Or they do it for their own sense of moral values or moral code. Or they do it out of compassion, genuine compassion for the child. Believers, we care for children without parents first and foremost to please and glory, to glorify God. We care for orphans and adopt them, not for our own glory, but for God's glory. We understand this, right? God adopted us for the praise of His glorious grace. Therefore, we adopt for the praise of the glory of His grace. So we consider this as our first and foremost motivation to care for orphans and adopt them. And the third way is, it becomes, third reason why is it becomes a platform for the gospel. Even non-believers will acknowledge that caring for orphans is good work. Non-believers will acknowledge that adopting orphans is good work. I was watching um, several uh, adoption videos this week on YouTube, preparing for this Sunday, and uh, there was one video about uh, a boy that was th- discarded in a trash can in a third world country and how he came to America and was adopted by Christians. And how Christians are adopting these children in, in great numbers. And one comment was, I'm an atheist and I would say what you're doing is great. Even atheists would acknowledge that caring for orphans is a good work and it upholds the gospel to them. Matthew 5.16 In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 1 Peter 2.12 Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of God's visitations. Visitation. We have experienced that personally in our family, Surin and I. We've had so many opportunities for the gospel because of Ethan. 
We, uh, most of you know this. We just came back from our 10-year anniversary vacation to uh, Hawaii. We had never been there, so we got away and had a great time. And you know, you go to Hawaii, and you have to go to a luau. So we go to a luau. We're sitting there. Across the table is a couple. They're on their honeymoon, our 10-year anniversary. So we're like veterans to them. Right? We're like old fogies to them. Right? We're talking, and certain night our heart is to share Christ. We want to bring with us the fragrant aroma of Christ. Now, how do you go from a luau to the gospel, right? How do you go from, like, you know, eating poi to sharing the cross? Very difficult. We're just talking and sharing about marriage, about life, and, of course, they ask us about our children, and we tell them about Elizabeth, Emma, and Ethan. And we tell them about Ethan. And the guy is a second-year law student in Notre Dame, studying family law. So he understands, he knows all the heartbreaking stories about foster children. And they're both intrigued. How did you guys get into this? That is so amazing. Tell us more. And of course, there is this connection. We're Christians. See, we, were, we know adoption because God adopted us. We had sinned against God. We were His enemies. We were dead in trespass. And God gave us undeserved love. So for us, we're doing the same by bringing this baby into our home and loving Him. It's given us such platform of the gospel wherever we go, all because of doing this good deed, all for the glory of God. It was quite neat, you know. There's these, uh, uh, they're hula dancing up there, you know. They have fire going, and we're able to share the gospel. So, that is why I believe God exhorts believers, each and every one, to sacrificially care for orphans and widows. But for us, our purpose is today is to care for orphans and for each of us to consider adoption, what God's will would be for each of us.